Let's turn then in our Bibles to the second chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. Today I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 9, but we'll only be looking at verses 9 to 5, or 5 to 9, that's the other way around. Let me read it to you, you can follow along in your own Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every, in, or in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he was not put, uh, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in submission to the angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hand. You have put all things in submission, subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him. But now we do not see, or we, we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Amen. Now, if you remember, this chapter begins with a solemn warning, an urging, an exhortation that we guard our minds and we guard our hearts lest we drift away from the things that we have heard. And he warns, he points the Hebrews and down through the ages to us today. He warns himself, he reminds them that if those who were warned by simple angels, simple, I use that word, simple angels, if they received a terrible judgment, straff, and one who is greater than the angels is here now, and he is giving the warning, can we expect in any lesser punishment, any lesser judgment than those who receive the message through servants. And he warns us that we're to be serious. I, I think this is a, a really good lesson for preachers as well. That we should always take time to remind people that what we do is not just a theological lesson. It's not just a, an interesting Bible study. It's not just a, a hobby. 
something that we 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 spiritual people are invested in. This is real life. This is eternal life. The things that we say are life and death, and they bear consequences. You cannot escape this. One day all of us will stand before God. The Bible says that he will judge the living and the dead at his coming. We will all stand before God. We will all give an account of our lives. The question will be posed to us, what did you do with Jesus? Was he your Lord? Was he your Savior? Were you obedient to his words? Did you walk in his ways and keep his requirements? Were you born again? Or did you reject him? Were you a rebel? Did you believe that you could do this in your own power? That somehow in some way you could supplant God? Tear him from the throne and take his place? That you, in your minute strength, would govern the heavens and the earth? We must always be reminded and be reminding those who hear our words that this is life and death. And when you read the letter of Hebrews, you're reading a man who has a pastor's heart, a man who loves his people, a Hebrew writing to the Hebrews. And he's passionate for them. He wants them to know Christ. He wants them to experience the salvation. He does not want them to drift away. And then he gets back to his message. Verse 5. He tells us that for the world was not put. Or for the world was not For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. Again, he's talking about the the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Son, that he is so much greater than anything or anyone. He wants you to see, to remember in whom you have trusted, of whom we are speaking. Not some mere principality and power, mere, again, I use those words and. With caution. In the ancient world, angels were considered super beings. Again, I've, I've think Marvel, think Superman. That's DC. I know. I get them mixed up. But you think of, of a superhuman being with superhuman strength. Something absolutely terrible and fearsome. The mere glimpse of one would put you in a coma. You'd be so frightened that you'd fall down. You'd lose consciousness. You'd faint. You would lose control of yourself, most likely, because it was a great and terrible sight. Indeed, in the structure, the hierarchy of heaven, it goes God, and then angels, and then man. And the writer of the Hebrews is demonstrating this. And he's wanting you to know and to understand the importance of the one of, in whom we have believed. The one who has come. The son. Now God, the writer here reminds 
his readers. That God did not put the world in which we live, or the world that is to come, in subjection to the angels, which is very good. There are some groups, religious groups out there, who believe that Jesus Christ is actually the, the archangel Michael, and that all human beings are the childrens of angels. We are the spiritual. They're the little spirit comes down and inhabits the baby while it's in the womb. And we are God children, angel children. But the text here clearly shows that God did not put this world in subjection to the angels. When God created the world, he created man. And God gave the authority of the earth to man. But sadly, when man fell and sinned, when Adam sinned, that dominion was lost. We don't really have control over this world. We are more enslaving it. We lost the right to it. He then goes on in verse 6. To demonstrate, and I like this, because one has testified in a certain place. I don't think he, he, he didn't know where it was, but I, I like this because, you know, we don't always know where the Bible says something, but we know what the Bible says. We can quote Bible verses, but we don't necessarily know the reference. I think this is very natural. One has testified in a certain place, and it's David in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, when David was writing this, he was talking about human beings. He was pondering. He's wondering, why does God love us so much? Why does God give us all this authority and power. So when David wrote this, he wasn't primarily thinking of the Messiah. He wasn't thinking of the, the one who was to come. He's contemplating, considering, thinking about God's relationship to man and wondering, being in awe of it. Lord, how can you love us so much? How can you give us so much freedom and authority? Over these things. What is it about us? That makes you so faithful to us. But we know through the the use of this text here. That the Holy Spirit meant something even more than just. The consideration of God's relationship to man. But he's pointing to the one who is to come. The writer of the Hebrews rightly points out that it is a the answer being the one who was to come the man Jesus would reign that he would govern that he would be the one in supremacy that he would be above the angels and who is above the angels no one is above the angels but God and therefore he is Telling his readers, he's telling you and I that Jesus is more than just simply a man. He is God. Um, when I was going through the commentaries this, this week, um, 
And I read John MacArthur on this. And John MacArthur talks about uh, this identifying with the destiny of man, he calls it. The destiny of man, that man shall reign. And he brings it to the, the kingdom that is to come, the millennial kingdom. I can't go that far with that text. I thought, John, you're stretching it a little bit too far. Mate, wouldn't anyone say that about John MacArthur? But I do think it speaks greatly about the reign that Christ shall one day have in the kingdom that is to come here and in the kingdom that is for eternity. That we know that Jesus is, the, or the, the Son, is more than just simply a man. In verse 5, it says that he has not put the, the world in subjection. All right? Yeah, the, the subject to the angels. And he has put all, the, in verse 8, that he has put all things in subjection. That word subjection is a very strong word. It's a military word. It means to put everyone in order. He has put them under the authority. It's an administrational word. It's like a governmental word. You're now under my authority. I have the right to decide. To dictate a mandate. God has given Christ a mandate. The, the ability, the right to reign and to govern. He is the one who decides the fate of all human beings. Of all heavens and earth. And indeed, the, the writer here goes on, the world, and he uses the word cosmos. Not just the world that we see, but the invisible world, the atoms and the protons, the, the galaxies. For as far as matter continues, he is the sovereign. And for how long? Well, it says over times, the word is aeons or eons, depending on your pronunciation. Forever and forever, for eternity, times upon times. The, the sun is the sovereign over all matter, all cosmos, all existence. And for how long? For all times. He is the Lord of all time and space. The writer wants you to see. He is reminding you of the one in whom you have believed. And how great and terrible he is. When I came up in the Pentecostal movement. Um, we were, when we were taught to preach. Uh, I remember the old school preachers. And they were all, I always think they always looked like buzzards. You know, they, they were very skinny and tight. And had lots of. You know, wrinkles everywhere. And they were this kind of men. And, uh, and I remember one pastor, Pastor D, always saying, Give them hell, son! Give them hell! And he was a great believer in scaring people into the kingdom. Let them feel the fire! That's why he would say. Let them feel the fire! And then they'll flee to heaven! That's Irishness, my northern Irishness coming out there. And in the olden days, when I was taught to preach many, many, many years ago, decades ago now, we were encouraged to, um, to frighten people. 
To put the fear of God in them. Put the fear of God in them. And they'll come to the throne. They'll fall at the cross. Gosh. All the old sayings coming out. And, but as you grow, as you, as you mature, you kind of move away from that. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily think that we should beat people with the cross. Daniel saying, yes, yes, we should. But there is a place in Scripture where we, we must be afraid of Jesus. Where we must recognize he's more than just a friend. He's more than just one who loves us. That we must be clothed. But the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's the God's given truth. There must be a fear. And the word the fear, it doesn't mean like, like oh, it's reverence, respect. He's in the right place. You have a right relationship. He is the greater and you are the lesser. And you show respect to him because of his position. Therefore, we're reminded here in this text of who Jesus is. He's not just a man. A person made a little lower than the angels for a time. And why was Christ made a little lower than the angels on the hierarchy of heaven? In order that he might taste death. That he might experience what it is to die. That he might surrender himself as a sacrifice on behalf of all of those who would believe. In order that they might receive life. A pardon, forgiveness, redemption. The Bible tells us that that God put all things in subjection under his feet. That he is the rightful ruler of all things now. He earned the right to govern. That which Adam filled, Christ the last Adam succeeded. And now he has divinely given ownership over all creation. All created matter. That's you and me. That's the trees, the snow, everything. For as far as there is, there, as there is anything, Christ owns it. It belongs to him. He is the rightful owner of it. And he may do with it as he pleases. And that should make us afraid. Remember how he begins this chapter? With a solemn warning. With a remembrance. Remember when the servant came. When the slave came and gave us a warning. And gave us a message and said if you do this, you do this. This will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. And you did do this, and you did do that, and you didn't do this. And then judgment fell. Remember your history, Hebrews. Remember your history. Therefore, if God was faithful in delivering the the judgment 
became by servants, how much more when the master comes will the judgment be sure? And he wants them to remember that in order that they may not drift away. And that's what he's really concerned with. He's concerned that that the Hebrews, the believers among the Hebrews will begin to drift away. That something in life will eclipse Christ. And we, we all understand that, don't we? We all have the stresses and strains, especially in the times in which we are living in today, when there are so many obstacles, so many things happening in the world, so many things happening in our own families and in ourselves as people, that we can lose sight upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be led away and led astray, distracted by the shiny things, by the the loud things of this life, that we forget who he is and what he has called us to be, his people, that live for him, a peculiar people. I like that word peculiar because I'm a little peculiar myself, different than the people of this world. Out of step in the time that we live, we're always a little bit of death, a little bit odd. Why? Because we are his people. Now the Bible tells us here that we, yet, we do not yet see all things put under his feet or made in subjection to him. And I think that's a, a good point. We live in a world that doesn't really look as if it's under the Influence or made subject to Jesus Christ. That life is going on. Governments are doing what governments do. Biden is walking around his office going, I don't know. Putin is planning and scheming and plotting whatever Putin does. Or maybe just wrestling bears with his shirt off. It's the kind of man that he is. The people in Hong Kong or in China are still doing whatever they're doing. The government of Finland is out in a nightclub partying, apparently. It doesn't really look as if Christ is ruling, does it? Our lives are just about ourselves, about our children. We are doing our best to getting on with life, worried about our hair or weight or whatever, whatever. And Christ can seem very far away and, and it can seem very as if it's not really relevant. But beloved, it, it's not that he's not reigning. It's, he is demonstrating grace. We're living in a period of his patience where he is allowing time for all of those who will believe to believe. He's giving you this time to make right with him. Every breath, every heartbeat, every moment, every blink of an eye is a demonstration of his grace. He's calling people, giving you a chance. So one day when you stand before him and must give an account of yourself in heaven, you won't be able to say, well, I never knew. Nobody ever told me. I didn't... I didn't think it was real. You, you, you never made known to me. I never had a chance. You never gave me. You never gave me a moment. If you had just simply said, 
Maybe I would have, perhaps, kind of, maybe, if I wanted to. During this time of his dispensation of grace, the outpouring of his goodness and kindness in order to give you the chance to come, don't miss understand this grace for an apathy or a lack of control. Don't misrepresent him as being absent or on a journey or busy with something other than the ruling of his kingdom. No, he is ruling and he is in control. But the question is, whether you're a willing subject, whether you have asked him, Lord, I know that I have unbelief in my heart. Help me to believe. Lord, I recognize that I have sinned in my life. I have broken your commandments. I live not for you, but for pleasure and for my own interests. Lord, I recognize that I don't want you or your kingdom. I would rather be my own man. Beloved, he is giving you this time in order that you might make peace. Cry out unto him. Ask him for help. I remember my own experience many, many years ago when I was in high school. And I remember coming under the conviction of sin, realizing that if Christ was to return in that moment, or that if I was to die that day, week, which was very possible because I was a very aggressive young man, that when I step before God in eternity, it was a certainty that I wouldn't get to heaven because Jesus would keep me out. He would say, no, not you, I don't know you. I don't, I, don't, I don't own you. You chose a life other than me and therefore you cannot come in. And I understood that Jesus would send me to hell because of my rejection of him, because of my sinful life. And that at the same time terrified me and made me angry. Why, 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 why? And I remember trying to run away from it. I got up and asked the teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And I went to the bathroom. My high school was like 6,000 boys. It was a big high school. And I went to the, the nearest boys' bathroom. There were only boys' bathroom in my school because it was a boys' school. And, uh, and I went in to the, 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 the bathroom and the, the, the toilet, the urinal. And the entire floor of the bathroom was flooded with, with urine. Some boys had put toilet paper down the toilet and the toilets had flooded and there was about that much water. In them. And the, the poor janitor was standing there trying to mop it all up. And it was like that. And it was like paper floating in it and stuff. Just, ooh, boys are disgusting. And he said, you can't use this toilet, son. I'm sorry, you're going to have to use the one on the third floor. And I was like, the third floor? And he says, yeah, it's, it's next to that religious teacher's room the Christian teacher who helped me come to Christ. He said, that's the only toilet's working right now. 
So I had to go up the stairs from the other side of the school, go up the stairs. And here was the, the toilet. And there was the, the Christian teacher who helped me come to Christ. His room was right there. And I remember going, walking up the stairs and, and, uh, and there was a battle with inside me. Just, oh, will I bow the knee? Will I not? What, what will I do? And uh, I don't know who that is. And, um, and I, I had to say, you know, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me, Lord. For I don't know what to do. And I remember asking for help. I wasn't a believer, but I did believe in God. Asking God for help. And immediately there came a change over me. And instead of going into the bathroom, I went into the, teacher, the Christian teacher's room. I just opened the door. And I, had all, I know it's hard to believe. I had all my gang clothes on, okay? And I was, and I was a well-known bad person. I went into the room and walked up to the teacher. And he looked like Woody Allen. He was a small guy who, who had big, thick glasses. You know, like bottle-thick glasses. You know, like the bottom of a glass. And he had a comb over. And he was very skinny. He looked like Woody Allen. Honestly, goodness, he did. And I walked up to his desk and I could see him go like this. Oh, oh, oh. And there were 34, I think 34, 37 teenage boys in his room. 15-year-old boys. And the whole room went quiet when I walked in because I was so intense. And I walked up to his desk and I pointed a finger at him. And I said, I want to become a Christian. And all of a sudden, you know, the whole room, whole room was quiet. And then erupted into laughter as if to say, you know, Kai is making fun of Brian. <laughs> and Mr. McCluskey was so, Brian was so at peace. And he looked at me and he said, well, Kyle, that's very good. But if you're serious, come back after class, after school, and we'll talk about it. But when I said that, when I declared that, there became a change in me. Something changed in me. I changed as a person and all the fear, all of the unsteadiness, all of the, the back and forth and the not wanting to. I loved my fighting. I loved women. I loved drinking. I loved that life. But all of a sudden, that all peeled away. It just vanished. It evaporated. It was like somebody turned the light on and all the darkness disappeared. And I went back to my class. I walked into the class and the group of friends that I had, the gang that I was with, and I walked in and uh, my mates were looking at me and they said, what have you done? And I said, I think I've just become a Christian. And one of my friends, Lee, says, yeah, yeah, you can see that. You look different. God transformed and changed. See, we must ask for help. To believe in Christ by your own power is impossible. You can't do it. But you must ask him to help you. To deal with your unbelief. And he will. He has declared that he will in no way cast out anyone who comes to him. That all who come will find a place in his kingdom. We must remember that simply because we look outside and we, we see the news and we have the space and the freedom to live our lives in the way that we want, 
does not mean that Christ is not ruling his kingdom. You don't see it right now, but there will come a time when Christ returns. When his kingdom will be established upon this earth and upon the peoples of this world. The Bible talks about the, a great harvesting. The Bible calls the Lord Jesus Christ the great tyrant. He will rule with a scepter of iron and no one will be able to go against him. In verse 9, here for the very first time in these in, in Hebrews, the writer identifies the one of whom he is talking about. This is the first time that Jesus is mentioned. We understand who the Son is, who the one who is to come, the one who is made a little lower than the angels. It's Jesus. Jesus. And he reminds us that Jesus came to suffer death. And he does this flip, this wonderful flip. You know what? Like, when a person dies, we don't really say, well, it was the crowning achievement of their life that they died. You know, and especially the, the death on a cross, you wouldn't necessarily think that that was a glorious death, that that was a triumphant death, that that was something to boast about. But yet, here in this point, he is talking about Christ came to die. He came in order that we might be set free. And that his death is his crowning achievement. It's that which gives him the glory. That is for that which we honor him. We must make much of the death of Jesus Christ. It's not just a, a byproduct. It's not just something we kind of slip into the conversation. He died. He died. He gave his life. He was a sacrifice. The Bible says that that, that was his crown. The idea is that, that whenever someone in the ancient world did something honorable, something mighty, legendary, epic. When I was a young man, I always wanted to be epic. Always wanted to be legendary. Wanted to do something great and mighty. Slay dragons. You know, climb mountains. Jump off cliffs. Things like that. I actually did things like that. Stupid things, you know. That my legend shall live on forever. In Valhalla. Something like that, you know. Something epic. Foolish child that I was. Jesus did something epic. When you did something epic in the ancient world, they gave you a laurel, uh, like a little crown of leaves. You ever seen it? You ever seen like a, a midsummer's crown? You know, with all the flowers hanging down like this, you know, when I make them. You know? oh. They would give you a, a, a laurel, like a, a, a little crown. It was a demonstration. It was like getting medals upon your chest. It was, big, it was a sign of, a, of an epic achievement. <clears throat> And here we're told that Christ's death is his epic achievement. It's that which crowned him with glory and honor. And we must make much of it. Why? Because we are told that by the grace of God, that he might taste death for everyone. 
that he would die as a supplicant, as someone in our place. For everyone who would believe upon him, Jesus Christ died for you, that you might live forever, that you might be set free from the consequences of your sin. See, the Bible says that there's salvation in no other name on this earth other than Jesus Christ. That you will not be able to save yourself. I will not be able to save you. The Pope will not be able to save you. Whatever ideology you believe in, capitalism, communism, I don't know if there's any other isms, but any kind of other isms that there is will not be able to save you. On that day, when you stand before God, as the Bible clearly portrays, in the great white, before the great white throne of judgment, when all the records are opened and all our lives are laid bare before Him, every word, thought, and deed shown before all of humanity of all time. Will judgment fall or will you hear pardoned, paid in full? Christ died for this one. Beloved, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was made a little lower than the angels on the hierarchy of God in order that he might experience death. But he was only made a little lower than the angels for a little time, for a period of time. In order that he might give himself as a sacrifice to pay the sin debt for all those who would believe. In order that we might not die. Die a second death. Real death. The death that we die in this world is not the real death. We move into the next world. The death that is to come is an eternal death. It is not the wiping out, not annihilationism, where we are rubbed out, erased from history. No, it is that we suffer the consequences of our sin for eternity. And the Bible tells us that Christ took our place. Beloved, let's remember in... In whom we have believed. How mighty and great Jesus Christ is. How much we owe him. And how much we must give him. We must guard ourselves from that drifting away. That is so easy to do. I don't know if you want to call it backsliding. Drifting away. The idea is a boat that has been tied up to the the shoreline, slips its knot and drifts away. If you've ever been out with one of those big rubber rings, if you don't look after it, the tide just drifts it away. And before you know it's way out to sea. Let's remember in whom we have believed. Let's remember that he does reign. Though we might not see it right now. There will come a time when his kingdom will come into being. When he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. 
that all people everywhere will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Willingly or unwillingly, every knee shall bow. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us as always. We ask, O oh God, that you'd help us. Lord, open up our eyes. We know that faith is not a natural thing, that it is a gift from you. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us that faith, that you, would, you Holy Spirit, would give us the insight into our own sin, that you would reveal the righteousness of Christ and in, in its completion, in its perfection. Lord, and that you would convert our souls, turning us from darkness to light. That, Lord, you would help those who do not believe to believe. Father, for us who are Christians, those who, of us who have believed and are following you, please, Lord, help us to guard ourselves from drifting away. Lord, you have reminded us of your supremacy, of your supreme position in all of creation, that you are God. Oh, Lord Jesus, please help us that we would be faithful, that, Lord, we would be obedient, that we would do as you have commanded us to do. You who are our king, Lord, just as we would never consider disobeying the state, Lord, we pay our taxes, Lord, we, we obey traffic laws, kind of. Lord, we, we pray, help us in the same way that we are obedient to the, the, the state and the nation that we live in, to be obedient to the, the state and the nation of Christ, of whom we are citizens. Lord, we pray and ask this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.